All right. This morning, we are continuing on with our series in First Peter. Uh, some of you, uh, some visiting faces this morning, uh, a couple weeks ago, we started a series on First Peter. And um, looking at it really in terms of like a refugee faith, that as these Christians, as um, we could tell at very least from the letter, that they were people on the outside, that because of their faith, they were struggling in their community. And it's also very likely that some of them were actually refugees from Rome sent there. And so we're looking at this letter and trying to understand, uh, to understand it better, how Peter is speaking to this church, to this group of marginalized Christians. And so uh, that was um, a couple weeks ago. And if you remember, these, these churches that Peter, uh, who was apostle of Jesus, the, the letter that he's written is actually to a group of churches in what they called Asia Minor. Today we call it modern-day Turkey, uh, our, our Turkey. And so this is where the, the area of the world where, these letter, or where this letter was written. And so Peter takes these, um, this word to this church or this letter and uses an opportunity to encourage them, to remind them, first of all, who God is. And he ex- uh, explains to them that through God's grace that they had been uh, brought into this new birth, into a living hope, a living hope that had eternal, uh, came with eternal inheritance, that they would have uh, this, this place with God forever. And so he's trying to remind them of these things. And so today, we're going to get more into the, the body of the letter, this letter that Peter has written. And at first, as I was reading this passage this week, I was thinking to myself, is this just a list of commands? You know, Peter encouraging the church, do this, oh, and do this, and, and then do this. But then as I was thinking about it, I was praying like, Lord, help me to understand this better. I realized that he's actually speaking to a group of people who were struggling to a group of people who felt like they were on the outside, who felt like the rest of the culture around them didn't like them. And I started thinking about this, and then I started thinking about that these aren't just a list of commands of, you know, do this or, or live better or do that, but it's actually, this is Peter's uh, pocket guide to thriving. His pocket guide to thriving, living well when life gets hard. And so he's encouraging the church in this. And I was, uh, as I talked about it with the kids, um, I was thinking uh, this image of a Swiss army knife came up. And I've already talked with them a little bit how, you know, the, the knife that I showed them came from the center console of my truck. You know, it doesn't really do what it was meant to do there. It opens a few letters for me. Uh, I've occasionally, actually the boys have messed up the scissor part now so it doesn't work, but it used to open things up for me as well. But this Swiss army knife, this survival knife, doesn't really help me survive in the console of my truck. But if I were to have that knife... And if I were lost in the woods, it could very well save my life. It could very well be the thing that I rely on to help me get through. And I started thinking about these words that Peter is speaking to the church. You know, to, to those of us who things are going okay today, who feel like, yeah, life is pretty good. These might seem like good words, you know, words to live by. But to those of you who are here this morning and struggling, this might be the thing that helps you get through. So let's keep moving on. And so, um, you know, I was talking about this, and I was thinking, you know, some of you might be here thinking, you know, yeah, I could, I could use some help. Like, it's great. I love to, to learn the Word of God and to follow. Some of you might be here this morning, and you might be thinking, you know, I'm not sure about Jesus yet or about church or that whole thing, but I have questions like, how does this really matter in my life? You know, is this just a, a faith that kind of sits in the back of our head as we go through life, or does it actually shape the way we live? But for those of you who are here this morning and you feel like life is hard, 
like you're just barely keeping your head above water. I want to encourage you, these words are for you. These words that Peter spoke to the church 2,000 years ago, they are speaking to you today. So let me show you what I mean. Okay, so this is, we're studying Peter, so it's going to be, it's going to be coming fast. There's a lot of information. If you look in your bulletin, you're going to see this is the passage that we are working through today. It's ambitious, I know. <laughs> but I think, you know, if you look inside in your bulletins, if we work through it together, you can kind of follow and kind of help hold it all together. I also have this part right onto the right side of your bulletin. It's just an open space. If you've got a pen, write stuff down, write key ideas, outline if that helps you. Um, whatever helps you learn to stick with what we're learning today. All right? So this is the passage. Let's, let's dive into it. So the first thing, let me just read this. He says, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. The first thing I wanted to uh, focus on here is this idea of hope. Okay, you know, in our world right now, in our culture, in English, we say hope, and we oftentimes mean something more like wish. Like, I sure hope that works out well for you. I sure hope it's sunny today. We use hope like that, all right? Like, I sure wish it, I wish it uh, was sunny today. But in the, the Greek that Peter's using here, the way that he's using hope is not something that he hopes will happen someday. It is an expectation that he has about the future that shapes his current reality. It shapes the way he's living today because he expects something in the future. All right? So this isn't a wish. He's not saying, I, I, you know, you, I wish this works out well for you. He's saying, we have a future expectation, a future hope that matters now. And so he's taking their eyes, if you will. You know, when things are difficult in life, we tend to, to focus down, or at least I do. Maybe you might not. But, but when things are difficult, I tend to focus on the difficulty. And it's understandable. It's complicated. We want to figure out how to move through it the best that we can. But Peter's taking their eyes and moving them to the horizon. He's saying, I know things are difficult, but look towards the future just for a moment. Look at this amazing future that you have guaranteed in Jesus. And let that shape the way you live today. Let your future hope shape your present reality. Let me say that again. Let our future hope shape our present reality. It puts all of our present struggles into perspective because we realize that as hard as they are, and I don't mean to demean or diminish anybody's struggle here, it is temporary. I know that doesn't feel especially helpful in the moment, but when we look to the future that we have in Jesus, it gives us strength and courage to deal with the difficult things that we are going through today. So if you're following along this morning, if you've got a pen, I want you to do this. I want you uh, to underline... This, this command here, okay? This is the first of five. Peter says, set your hope fully on the grace, on the grace that is given to you that will be revealed or when Christ is revealed. I want you to underline that. All right? So let's keep moving. So he says, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. All right, first thing Peter's saying here is don't go back to the way you used to do things before you follow Jesus. Don't fall back on the ways that you used to cope. Don't fall back on that. I was thinking about it this week. Before I was serious about following Jesus, um, I, uh, I'm ashamed to admit it, but I was drunk most weekends. I was in college playing football with my friends and I was trying to fit in with them. 
I was drunk most weekends. And there were times, too, where maybe I would, something would go wrong and I would try to handle it by drinking. I hear Peter saying, Jason, don't go back to that. When things get difficult, don't go back to the way we used to do things before we knew about Jesus. You know, maybe yours isn't drinking. Maybe yours is something else. Some other way that you cope or some other thing that you used to do that you, you think now, like, man, I, I shouldn't have done that. Don't go back to that now that you know who Jesus is, now that you know more about him. And then Peter says, he says, be holy. He doesn't say be holy as God is holy. He says be holy but, uh, because God is holy. And I want to say that to us uh, specifically because when I first read this, I was thinking it was saying something kind of like, try and be as holy as God. And that's not what Peter is saying. One, because I don't know how anybody's making out with that whole endeavor, but uh, it doesn't work. None of us in our broken um, selves can figure out, can keep it together to be holy as God is holy. But he's actually saying be holy because God is holy. And that sort of flipped it around for me. Not that we be holy, not that we try to be holy so we can earn our place with God, but actually, because God is holy, because he has saved us, he has made us holy. So then our desire to be holy is a response. It's a response to God, not a condition. Do you understand the difference? Do you hear what I'm saying? That because God is holy, that's why we want to be holy. Not that we have to somehow earn our place, but because we're grateful for who God is and what he's done in our lives. And when he's saying holy here, I think he's um, obviously... He's not saying be holy as God, like we've talked about that. He's not saying try and be as holy as God. But he's saying be holy relative to the world around us. Faithfully follow God relative to the world around us. And what I mean by that is so that our friends and neighbors, when they see the way we live, they say something like, man, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily understand their faith, but I sure appreciate the way they live. They are honorable or they have integrity, or they're honest, or they're generous, that they would say those sort of things about us as followers of Jesus. I think that's what Peter's talking about here. And as he says here at the very bottom, it says, be holy because I am holy. That's actually a quote from Leviticus chapter 19, verse 2. That's where God is giving the law to his people. And I don't think Peter's saying here, somehow return back to the Old Testament law. That's not what he's saying. But he's saying, bring honor to God by the way that you live, so that the people around you, your friends, your co-workers, your neighbors, that they will see the way you live and they will give God glory. So if you're following along, underline this next part here. It says, so be holy in all that you do. This is the second command. Be holy in all that you do. If you do this, you will thrive. You will thrive if you live holy. Whether things are going great, now, great right now or especially if you're in trouble, if you be holy in all that you do, you will thrive. All right, next part. So he says, since you call on a father who judges each man or each person's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. For you know that it was with perishable things, such as, I'm sorry, not with perishable things, such as silver and gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or, de or defect. I know that's a big chunk of text, but the first thing I want to just focus on here is this idea of fear. It says here, live in reverent fear. <clears throat> and this is the NIV translation. In Greek, it actually just says live in fear. 
And I think the NIV has got it right because they're trying to help us see. Because in our, in English, fear means like be afraid of. And I don't think we have to be afraid of God our Father. I think it's good for us to have immense respect to revere God. Maybe to be afraid of God's wrath and the consequences of sin. I think that's reasonable. But not to be afraid of God. Okay? So the NIV, I think they help us here. They say in reverent fear. And he's talking about reverence. And I was thinking about my own father. Now, it's, it's complicated uh, when you start comparing our fathers, like our, our earthly fathers, to our father in heaven. But I remember uh, my dad, I was afraid to make him upset with me, especially when I was younger. I mean, I love my dad, and my dad loved me, and he was a good father. But I was afraid to make him upset. Has anybody had that experience where you're kind of afraid to make your dad angry? <clears throat> I think that's kind of what Peter is talking about here. Not that we're afraid of God, our Father in heaven, but we're afraid of making them upset. We're afraid of making them angry. See, Peter's talking this to a, to a church, to a group of people who are ostracized by the world around them, who are marginalized. And they might be tempted to compromise. They might be tempted to fit in. You know, I'm not going to, I know this is what God has commanded me or this is how God wants me to live. I'm not going to do that because it makes me stick out among my friends. Peter is encouraging them, don't compromise. Keep revering God. Keep following God as faithfully as you can. Even if it makes life difficult with your friends, don't compromise. He says this, because he says, because you were not purchased with money, with gold or with silver, anything that fades away, but you were saved by the, pre- by the precious blood of Christ. Okay? So I just want to highlight this to you right here. This silver, gold, and redeemed. These are all terms that come from slavery, actually. In the first century, uh, in Rome, slavery was a common thing. And it was, there were some similarities, but there are also some real differences between our idea of slavery, the stuff we see on TV, which was mainly in North America in the 18 and 1900s, right? I'm sorry, the 18 and 19th century. He's talking about like, slavery in the, in the ancient world was different uh, in some ways. But it was a powerful image because he's talking with these Christians, explaining to them that, that you have been redeemed, you have been bought out of slavery. And I think at very least he's talking about slavery to sin, to an old way of life. Peter is saying you have been redeemed, you have been purchased by God, that you belong to him now. Okay? <clears throat> so he's talking with them and he says that you've been purchased by the precious blood of Christ but you know unless you've been a Christian for a while you're thinking whoa what does that mean and a lamb what lamb and you know this is actually imagery coming from Leviticus one of the books of the Old Testament Leviticus chapter 4 uh, verse 32 through 35 in the ancient world uh, God uh, you know people would sin against God and it would bring all sorts of difficulty and trouble and so uh, God made a provision for them. If you sacrifice a lamb uh, without blemish, it will take your place. It will undo the sun, uh, it will cover the sin that you've, that you've sinned, the things wrong that you've done. Now it's really complicated for us because we don't do that sort of thing anymore, but that was how it worked in the Old Testament. And so Peter is saying that Jesus, Jesus is this lamb for the church in Asia Minor 2,000 years ago, and Jesus is this lamb for us today. That sin, the things that we do, the things that we do that we regret, 
the things that we do that are rebellion against God or that hurt one another, these things that we do, they put distance between us and God. They put separation between us. And he's saying that Jesus is this lamb that brings us back together with God, that it's his sacrifice. I know that's a little bit complicated, uh, and especially if you're new to this whole uh, Christian thing. Um, you might be thinking like, wow, I don't understand. You Come talk with me afterward. I'm happy to explain it some more. But Peter's point, he's speaking to a church who knows the Old Testament scriptures, and he's saying, he's reminding them that Jesus is this lamb, this sacrifice who takes away their sin, who covers over it. So there is a command in here too, the third command. He says, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. And I sort of changed the wording in your, um, uh, in your um, sermon um, reflection guide. He's saying, recognizing that you're strangers here. That was something we talked about a couple weeks ago. You know, as Christians, we don't fit in this world anymore. When we begin believing in Jesus, it gets harder and harder to fit here. And he's saying, as strangers here, as people who don't fit, keep living your lives in reverent fear of God. Don't compromise. Don't try to fit in. All right? Okay, so let's keep moving. Then he says this. He says, uh, he was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. Okay, this is Peter. He starts talking about Jesus, about this sacrifice, this lamb without blemish. He can't help but expand to, to, to talk more about Jesus and who he is, to remind this church and us today of who Jesus is, that before creation, that before creation, Jesus was chosen, chosen to do this work. So it began from the very, before the beginning. And he's been revealed in this last time, um, this last time to us. We live in this last time, waiting for Christ to return. So he's saying that God has this plan, that he's at work through all of this. God's not making this up as he goes. He's not reacting, trying to figure out, okay, now what do I do? Okay, God's not doing that. It was the plan from the beginning. He's been at work. He knows where things are going. He sees the, be- sees the end from the beginning. And so he's saying that through Jesus, we are believing in God, which is surprising me to think, like God is the one who actually raised Jesus from the dead and glorified. It means like ascended. Jesus sits at God's right hand now. And so because he has been raised and glorified, when we believe into Jesus, we're actually putting our faith not only in Jesus, but in God, the creator of all things, in the Lord God. All right? So we can trust God. So this is, I think, maybe I wonder, too, if Peter's maybe talking to some of the Jewish people in this church. Not this church here, but in the church that he's writing to 2,000 years ago. Because as Jews, they had no problem trusting their lives to Yahweh, to God. And he's explaining to them that when you believe in Jesus, you are trusting in Yahweh. And so he's speaking to them as well. Now there's no command in this, in this part of the passage. Uh, this is just Peter uh, explaining, just going off on an angle here about how much he loves Jesus and wanting them to know who he is. All right? So let's move on to the next part. He says, So now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, 
through the living and enduring word of God. So he's saying, because you've been born again, you are purified. You know, and we're going to see this again worked out, acted out next week in baptisms here at the church. Diane and Shalem, as they're baptized, they go down under the water one person and they come up a new person, a child of God. It's this moment in faith. It's one of these next steps, these powerful next steps that changes us, that affects our whole life. And so Peter's speaking to this church and he's saying love one another deeply because of this. Because you've been purified, because you've believed in Jesus, trusted his word, love one another deeply. And that's interesting. I want to just focus here on the word love. You know, we, again, sort of like um, the other words we've focused on this morning, we use love differently in English, differently than they did 2,000 years ago in Greek. Not surprising, but let me just explain. We use love all over the place. Like, I love coffee. I love barbecue. I love it when it's sunny out. I love your sweater. We use love like that. Or like when I'm talking with Tracy, I love you. Like, as I'm walking out the door and grabbing my keys, that sort of means, love, I love you there is translated like, goodbye, see you later. Or, uh, when I look at my son's eyes and he's, crying because he's done something wrong and I've disciplined him. Now, after all we've worked through everything, I look in his eyes and I say, I love you. That he knows that he messed up and that I'm not happy with that, but I still love him. Love does, does all that work in English for us. But here, in this passage, the two words that, that, that Peter is using are their loves. Maybe some of you have heard this before. One of them is uh, the, the Greek word uh, Philadelphia. We have a city named after that. Um, but it means brotherly love. The other one is agape, which is unconditional, which is committed love. The sort of love that loves when the other person isn't so lovely. Tracy does a lot of that for me. She has a lot of agape love for me. that She loves me even when I'm not so lovely. So he's speaking about this kind of love. He's saying, don't just be chummy with each other, just um, loving each other when the sun is out. He's actually saying, be committed to one another. Be committed to one another in the church. Love each other, even when the rest of the church around you isn't so lovely. Love him. He's saying support each other, especially when we feel like we're marginalized, especially when it feels like it's difficult. Like the world around us, when we say that we're Christians, you can see people kind of step back and like, oh, okay. Like they put us into that box, like they think they know who we are. He's saying that we love each other. Because as we face that sort of stuff in the world around us, here you are accepted. Now as I say that, I say that with a bit of trepidation because churches sometimes have a reputation for not being so accepting. I'm grateful that I don't get that sense here at this church, but we have to keep working hard to love each other, especially when it's difficult, especially when we're not being so lovely toward each other. But that we live up to this, that we love one another. Because this church will stick with you. I've seen it in my time here at this church. You know, we don't always do it right. <laughs> and sometimes we really blow it for each other. I recognize that. And if we have blown it for you, if we have failed to show up for you, failed to show up for you, I'm sorry. But 
over the long run, I still put my money on this church here. That we will show up for one another, that we will care for each other when things are hard. So Peter is saying, love one another. He's saying, because you've been born again by an imperishable word of God, word that will never fall apart, that will never wear out. And he said, this word of God leads to eternal life that lasts forever. There's this, there's this interplay in this whole passage between the temporary and the eternal. And Peter keeps drawing our minds to the eternal to put the temporary in perspective. So he says, because our future hope shapes our current reality, that in the end, this family, this group of people gathered to your right and to your left, this family will remain. This family here is eternal. Scary a little bit, bit, (laughs) but good. This group of people who you are sitting with here, these are your brothers and sisters in Christ. This is eternal. So, if you're following along, I want you to make this mark here. Love one another deeply. This is the fourth command of this passage. This fourth part of this pocket guide to thriving, to love one another deeply. You will thrive if you love one another deeply. Okay, and then Peter says this. He says, For all men and women are like grass, and their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Okay, the point of this little uh, quotation here, this quote from from the Old Testament, is basically what we've just been talking about. That people, cultures, empires, countries, they're all temporary. They're like grass. They're here for a while and then they fade. I mean, look at every empire of history. They all have their season. They all come and they all go. But he's making a point here is that the word of God is eternal. And as we believe into him, it is eternal for us as well. So that's interesting. This passage here is actually a quote from Isaiah. From Isaiah chapter 40, verse 6, and from Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8. This short little passage. And it's interesting, you know, I, um, this quote comes from Isaiah. Isaiah is writing these prophetic words to the people of God, to Israel, when they were exiles in Babylon. And this was uh, 600 years before Jesus. Um, that these words were spoken or that these words were addressed to a people in exile. And for those of you who don't know the story, Israel had disobeyed God for centuries. And finally, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian king, which is in modern-day Iraq, comes over, conquers their land, and takes all of them, rips them out of their homeland, and deports them back to his land, makes them serve in all sorts of capacities in his empire. And the people of Israel, um, they struggled. I mean, as you read the books of Daniel or Esther, you see how difficult it was to be a Jewish person living in Babylon as exiles. And so Isaiah speaks these words to the people 600 years before Peter gathers up this quote again and speaks it to this first century church in Asia Minor. He reminds them that they too, even though they are exiles, that their situation is temporary and that the word of God is eternal. 
I just got upstaged. <laughs> so he's trying to explain to them that God is eternal. And so I speak these words to us again this morning. I bring us back to Peter's words to remind us this morning that the struggles that we're facing, the things that are hard in our life right now, they are hard. And I acknowledge that. But they aren't forever. The word of God is forever. That's eternal. Ultimately, Jesus is eternal. Okay, so let's last bit here on the home stretch. <clears throat> so it says, Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Peter's saying to this church, he's saying, rid yourselves of everything that undermines the fellowship of your church. Malice, like evil, underhandedness, deceit, lying to each other, hypocrisy, saying you're going to do one thing and then doing another, envying each other, slandering of all sorts of kinds. These things undermine the fellowship of the believers. These sort of things undermine the church. They undermine all sorts of relationships. They undermine marriages. They undermine families. They undermine communities. Don't do these things. Don't do these things. If you want to thrive, avoid this stuff. Avoid deceit and hypocrisy, envy and slander. Then Peter says this. He says, crave pure spiritual milk. And it could very easily be that he's talking about the word of God here. Because in this whole passage, he's been talking about how the eternal word of God. But I was listening to uh, Professor Karen Jobes, who wrote a commentary on First Peter. And I was listening to her, um, her commentary, and she's saying, actually, it probably means even more than just the word of God. It definitely includes that, but a thriving relationship with Jesus. And you know me. <laughs> I'm always happy to jump on uh, the idea of a thriving relationship with Jesus. That one of the best ways we do that is by reading God's word. But I hear Peter saying, I think the batteries are going. Can you guys still hear me well? Okay. Maybe, just, maybe I'm not talking into the mic. Okay. Um, that not only do we listen to the word of God and read the word of God, but we keep moving closer to Jesus, that we crave a growing relationship with him. And the best way to do that is by reading God's word, by praying, by serving others, by fasting, by times of solitude, by praising God through songs. Whatever it is that helps us move closer to Jesus, keep craving these things, a relationship with him. Okay, so he's saying, that I think that's what he's getting at when he says this pure spiritual milk. But then it, at the last, he says, Maybe it's a microphone. Okay, I'll just keep, I'll just keep going. Um, so the passage here, right here at um, the end of the passage, this actually comes from...
all things good and right. And we lived in light of that. Imagine if we lived holy lives, so holy that not only was God delighted in the way we live, but our friends and neighbors around us, they actually said, you know, for everything else that I don't agree with about their faith, at very least, they are honorable people. They are, they are honest and they are generous. Imagine if our community said that about Christians rather than Christians being judgmental close-minded. Imagine this. If as strangers here, we revered God, we never compromised. We kept faithfully following God, especially when it was difficult. Imagine what this community could look like if we loved one another even more deeply. Showing up for each other when we need help, when one of us is struggling, the rest of us gathering around and encouraging them, helping them. Imagine how strong this fellowship, this church would be and what a blessing we would then be to our community. And lastly, imagine what it would look like if we were all growing in our relationship with Jesus. Not only through the word of God, but through prayer, fasting, worship, gathering on Sundays. If we were growing even more uh, closer, growing even closer to our relationship in Jesus. I can speak from my own experience. But in some of the hardest times in my life, it was my relationship with Jesus that helped me. It was my relationship with Jesus that got me through. And there were times I remember when I had so much anxiety, this knot that was right here. I couldn't go more than maybe an hour or two without spending time stopping and praying and reading God's word for a bit. And I know maybe that sounds uh, super spiritual and too pastorly, but I wasn't even a pastor then. I was a product manager in a telecommunications company. My life had just, the bottom had fallen out. And I came to the word of God and I was helped. I came to Jesus and he helped me thrive even though life was the hardest thing I'd ever been through. And I offer that to you this morning. I encourage you in this. So if you're here this morning and life is going pretty well, these words are words to live by. They will help you thrive. If you're here this morning, you have more questions than answers about Jesus or about Christianity, you're not even sure what you believe, I encourage you to try this, to live this. You will see a difference in your life. But if you're here this morning 
and you are barely here. You are barely keeping your head above water. These words are for you. These words remind you. They remind you of who you are in Christ. These words will help you thrive even when life is hard. Amen.